Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. Ah, well, good morning. Um, as you can see, uh, during that time, I found it impossible to journey through Romans 4 today without the help of some visual aids or object lessons, so we will get to that in a moment. Um, if you're new or if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, we have been journeying through the book of Romans. Uh, I don't know how long we'll be in that book, but it is pretty weighty. Uh, this epistle would be considered the theological heavyweight of all the New Testament epistles, and so there's a lot to unpack. So just to, in general, the book of Romans takes a real sobering look at the human condition and also the nature of God's salvation. So last few weeks, uh, Pastor Steve was unpacking Romans chapter 3, and when you look at uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, you lo- notice a lot of things, which you've noticed as, uh, as you've listened to Steve preaching. But in Romans 3, Paul 16 times asked a rhetorical question, combating the arguments and the rationale given by the Jews as to the nature of salvation. Uh, And the question that Steve ended on uh, last week was, when it comes to matters of salvation, who gets to boast? Who gets bragging rights when it comes to salvation? Well, we will continue with Paul's journey down this road in Romans 4 by looking at the differences between paychecks and promises. Uh, We're going to take more of a bird's eye view today. We're going to cover the span of uh, Romans 4. So if we were to unpack that verse by verse, uh, we would be eating all the way through uh, Chris's meal today, right? In the Greenwood. So I shan't do that to you. Uh, So in general, we will just take a look at the person of Abraham, the promise to Abraham, and then the promise to all. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for uh, your word, which is just filled to the brim, Lord, with truth, but also with love, according to the word that um, you gave to Mark Haswell today, Lord. Lord, we understand that it is utmost importance to dot all of our theological I's and cross all of our theological T's, but Lord, let us never do that at the expense of love. So today we pray that you would minister to us by your spirit and your word, the truth of your love, um, in just new and refreshing ways. And we need your help to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Let's first look at the person of Abraham. You'll see, starting in the very first uh, verse of Romans chapter 4, that Abraham becomes a central character. And I think it's impossible to really understand uh, the, the gravity of what Paul's argument is without understanding the person of Abraham. So let's just read the first three verses, shall we? Which shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, in matters of salvation by the law or through faith? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, I'm going to stop there for the moment. And to the Jews, um, the Paul's addressing, they loved to play the Abraham card, right? So I'm not sure if you know what that is. Um, a lot of you men, you, have, you know what a man card is, right? You know it can be taken away from you for various things. So, you know, I was threatened to be taken away from a few weeks ago when I, I bought tickets to go see the Celtic Woman Tour, right? So if you guys like, yeah, give me that man card. So... But it was worth it because I found out what angels in heaven sound like. They're Irish. So <laughs> it is amazing. Um, of course, we also play the God card. That comes in real handy when you guys were in high school and college. You wanted to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And you would say, listen, 
here's the deal. I love you, but just God doesn't want us to be together. Bam! Play that card, drop the mic, walk out. So here, we find the Jews, are, they love to play the Abraham card when it comes to salvation. So who was this person of Abraham? Why is he so important to them? So let's just take a quick purview of, um, of the life of Abraham, and uh, that might help bring some clarity to the entire chapter. So first of all, we, have, we, we know in that for the next slide there, we know that if you know anything about Sunday School and Songs, that Father Abraham had many sons, right? Uh, who knows what I'm talking about, right? And thanks to Yoda, we know that mm, many sons had Father Abraham. Mm. <laughs> I give my best, Steve. Give my best Yoda there. So he did indeed have many sons. He was born in the land of Ur, a Chaldean city in Mesopotamia, and he was a worshiper of idols, right? He was originally known as Abraham. He had no idea who God was or even that he existed. Little did Abram know that God had chosen him, and one day he revealed himself to this pagan idol worshiper, and Abram became a believer. God commands Abram to leave his homeland and his people, and by faith to journey to a new land that God had promised him. In Genesis 12, Abram receives a seven-part promise from God. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. I think that's uh, on the next slide there. Quite the promise that he gave uh, to Abram. Abram and his wife Sarah, they arrive in Canaan, the promised land, and they build an altar at Bethel unto God. He rescues his nephew, nephew Lot. That's a crazy story, right? Uh, from the evil city of Sodom after being taken captive by a Mesopotamian king. He meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He ties to him and is blessed by him. In Genesis 15, Abram is promised a son. Remember, he and Sarah were quite old. And he promised him a son to become, and he would become a father of a great nation, which we know would be Israel. In fact, God gave Abram a dream that his people would be in slavery for 400 years before finding that promised land. When God promised Abram and his, uh, that he and his wife would have a son, he actually believed God that he would do it, in spite of all evidence to the contrary. After changing his name from Abram to Abraham, God grants them that promised child, Isaac, the same year that Abraham blows out 100 candles on his birthday cake. That's very good for all you OCD people. That's a nice even number. After trusting God once again, in spite of common sense, he takes Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him, even though he is the only son and hope of having many descendants. And we all know how that story ends with the intervention of the angel. And finally, God reaffirms his covenant with Abram in Genesis 22 and eventually dies at the ripe old age of 175. So there's a quick purview of the life of Abraham. So... When the Jews are playing this Abraham card, this is the guy they're talking about. So what is the essence of Jews' connection to Abraham? Why do they love this card? Well, we, we all like to find out that we are related to someone famous or rich or historically significant. All right, here's a little poll for you. How many of you ever ventured down the road of Ancestry.com to find out if you had any of these kind of relatives? Let's see your hand. All right few of you. And I, you won't get to share it now, but how many of you found somebody like, hey, that's pretty significant? Yeah, a couple of you? Yeah. Most of you know. Most of you would be related to my next slide here. 
son, this is our family crest. If you probably noticed, uh, our ancestors were really lame. So, <laughs> so most of us have lame ancestors. Like, all right, well, whatever. But not so with the Jews, because they had Abraham, who was anything but lame. So when it came to matters of salvation, the Jews tied their connection to Father Abraham, the father of Israel. Many of them rested their eternal security upon their natural relationship with Abraham. It's kind of a form of uh, nepotism, right? Uh, nepotism says, I'm reading the dictionary definition, the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives, especially by giving them jobs, or in this case, a means or a way to salvation. Now get this. This is very important as to why the Jews held Abraham in such esteem and why it skewed their entire view of salvation. They believed that Abraham earned his way into God's good pleasure and that his righteousness was made complete on the day that he was circumcised. And all this was done in anticipation of the law of Moses, which would come 500 years later. You understand, when you, when you see Moses like this, this is going to change how you view salvation. And what Paul says to you is going to rub you the wrong way. So by keeping the law and being circumcised, they too, like Abraham, could earn their place of good standing before a holy God. They were kind of a, an exclusive Jewish club that was privileged to prove their worth in front of an almighty God. So let's remember that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans in about 57 A.D., in 37 AD, 20 years earlier, that's when Paul gave the vision to Peter, right, on the rooftop about God opening up salvation to the Gentiles as well. So, of course, the Gentiles aren't part of this exclusive uh, Jewish club. So even after two decades, there is still such a stronghold belief among the Jews that salvation is something that could be earned like a paycheck. For those of you that can't see it over there, I hold up a little check for you. But they believed it was something that could be earned. Well, that's not much different than modern America, am I right, for the last few generations? Um, let's show this uh, stat up here. And in 2016, Lifeway Research, uh, Lifeway folks, they did a research on Americans. 77% believe people must make efforts to receive personal salvation with 52% seeing good deeds as a way to reach heaven. So when, you, when you're looking at the, the church back there, like, man, how can they believe that, that, that all this works righteousness? Well, guess what? We live in America where that is still the prevailing tide. Of course, the close up-and-coming one is, hey, it doesn't matter. Just be sincere about what you believe, right? There's no such thing as being sincerely wrong, right? It's just if you're sincere, yeah, God, God, will, God will honor that. I'm telling you, it's in our fallen DNA to want to earn things and to want to boast about them, right? So here's a quick, um, I'm going to actually write on this check to help prove something here. I'm going to tell you a story, though. When, uh, when I was at Geneva College years ago, we did a, um, up in Pennsylvania, we did a, a car wash outreach, right? And we actually, we actually have continued that here at Crossfire. What we do every summer is we have a car wash here. You know, most car washes, they, you charge something or, hey, it's a donation, right? Which is fine. It's a good way to do that. So, and maybe we should try to do that sometime, like actually try to raise some money. But what we do is we come and we, we, give them, we give them candy for kids. We give them water. We pray for them. And we give them a little handout that says God's, it's a message of salvation. God's salvation is free. So this is just, an, this car wash is an extension of that message. And so we're washing your car for free. We will take no money ever at any point in time. You would not believe 
course, a lot of people are blessed by that. You would not believe how much it drives some people crazy. So I just remember, uh, particularly up at Geneva when we did this, I was telling this guy this. You should have seen his face. It got red. He was tensing, white-knuckling the steering wheel. I was like, oh, man, I thought I was giving him some good news. But there's just something inside. He's like, well, can I, can, I, can I just? And he's trying to offer me everything, and we just wouldn't take it. So what does he do? So when we're done washing the car, after we're done praying for him, he peels out and throws a $10 bill out the window. <laughs> so I'm going to write this down when I think of guys like that. Um, so it was just a great example of how we want to earn something. We are very horrible at receiving grace, right? We are very horrible. So this is what the check could look like. Um, Right here. So, pay to the order of me, right? Uh, and what are we paying here? Salvation. This is signed by God. This is how they think it is. And uh, in the memo, hashtag I boast, right? Because uh, it's all about what I have earned and what I deserve. So that, that's kind of sentiment in the church. It's also something that we are very familiar with here in America. There are still lessons to be learned for people who already follow Christ. For us, how many of us realizing that we have come to faith by grace, but we want to stay in his good graces by doing good stuff. It's all about performance. You get on the performance treadmill, which, which seems so good on one level, but it's so toxic at the next. Paul realized this to the Galatians. I'll read Galatians 3, 2, and 3. He said, Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith? You foolish Galatians, after starting your Christian lives by the Spirit... Are you now trying to become perfected by your own human effort? So Paul, man, he railed on these guys. Colossians 2, 6. Just as you have received Christ by grace through faith, so continue to walk in him. Right? The formula does not change. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that forgives you is the same grace that transforms you. And just remember, you are unconditionally loved. On your greatest days and on your worst days, God loves you. Just the same. Here's a crucial dynamic that affects how Abraham is viewed. Because if you were to ask to pick one biblical character besides Jesus and Paul, obviously, when you think of a biblical character and the word righteousness, most people would think, yeah, Abraham, because those words are connected. So um, let's look at verses 9 through 11. So notice I skipped 4 to 8. I'm not skipping that. I'm just gonna, we're going to come back to that because it has a beautiful way to end our, our sermon today. Uh, verses 9 through 11, let's, uh, let's see a little more about how Abraham is viewed. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? It was not after, but before. And he received his circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that was held by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. God credited Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. There's a Greek word, it's a fun word to say, legizomai, means credited. It's an accounting term. Gary Roberson, if you're in here, it's a good accounting term, all right? Uh, it means to count as something. So whenever something is credited to your account, you know it really feels good like that. Like, for instance, just say hypothetically, you, uh, you go and you buy a pressure washer that your wife didn't green light. And you actually used it once. This didn't happen to me, but I'm speaking metaphorically for a number of you gentlemen out there. 
Like, yeah, that thing's got to go back. And so you go back with fear and trepidation, and they, they the loaves, they take it back, and then they say those grateful words. Mr. Santum or Mr. So-and-so. 495 dollars has been credited back to your card. Oh, thank you, Lord. I love what Tim Keller, he, he gives this example when he talks about rent-to-own payments. How many have ever made rent-to-own payments? You're in a rent-to-own situation? He said, I make payments that are rent, but if I decide to buy, then these rent payments are now counted as legitimate mortgage payments. A new status has been granted to those payments. So you keep that in mind when you think that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Remember, Abraham's faith is not righteousness. Some of us put our faith in faith. Nee, nee, nee. That, uh, that is, that's uh, human-centered. That'll get you into big-time danger. But Abraham's faith is credited to him. It's counted to him as righteousness because God, in his merciful wisdom, decides that's just the way it's going to be. They call it, in, uh, in theological terms, an alien righteousness. doesn't mean you're going to phone home or a little creature's going to jump out of your chest, right? It means that this, this, this righteousness comes from without. It comes from an outside source, not from an inside source like this world will say. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're good at, par- at heart. You just need the right education. You just need the right blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. There is no one who is righteous, not one, the Scriptures say. So our righteousness comes from outside, and that, of course, from, comes from God. And this is a gift that he promised to Abraham, the gift of right standing before a holy God. It's a gift to Abraham and because ultimately God wants to be in relationship with him. He wants to be in a relationship, a loving relationship with his people. What's the key to this passage in the next slide? The key is timing. When did God declare Abraham righteous? After he was circumcised or before? That's a huge difference. It says in the scriptures, Paul says, was it before? No. It was not after, but it was before. This timing is so crucial because many Jews wanted to include the ritual of circumcision as an essential ingredient to salvation. Paul remembers this. Remember the, uh, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15? They were at, this was the whole issue that they wanted to add uh, circumcision to salvation. Like, it's grace plus circumcision. And so, of course, they came down on that and they said they would have none of it. You see, the Jews saw circumcision as an exclusive sign of membership into this Jewish nation. It had profound symbolism, religiously, culturally, and nationally. It's very important for them. And so when Paul says, you have to let that circumcision thing go, bro, it has nothing to do with salvation. If you are, that's fine, but it has nothing to do. That's why, that's why it was so cool that God, in his timing, made sure that Abraham was counted righteous, and uh, some say as early as 14 years before he was circumcised so that there was no difference. So, guys, God's timing matters. Just, just to make righteousness clearly defined, like I mentioned, Abraham was circumcised 14 years apart from the time that he was declared righteous. God gave him the gift. Boom. 14 years later, Abraham becomes circumcised. And then to make the, his point all the more that righteousness is a gift, he decided that he wasn't going to give the law to Moses until 500 years later. So there's no mistaking. Uh, he gets the gift because of the graciousness of Almighty God before circumcision and before the law. So awesome. So there is no room for self-righteous boasting, either in a ritual that happened in the flesh or in attempted to be justified by keeping the law. This made me think here of God's timing in the scripture. We could do a whole study just on 
the language of time in the Bible and how important time meaning is and how beautiful the, in, in the orchestra of, of God's, the symphony of God's sovereignty, how he times things. Just a few examples that came to mind. The Holy Spirit visited Mary before she lost her virginity. Jesus showed up after Lazarus died. As soon as the priests, they carry the ark of God, their feet touched the Jordan River, the water stopped. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The timing language in the Bible is beautiful and is so important in this case. Because you guys have to think, some of you are wrestling with God's timing in your life now. Like, God, hello, have you seen this? Time's running out, the sands are coming out. We have to forget that he is, a so- he is sovereign over the hourglass, over the calendars, and over the Apple watches of our lives, right? He is, Lord, help us to get in sync with your timing. So what's Paul's final thought on the Jews' elevation of Abraham? It can probably best be summed up by John the Baptist. I got to preach about him in October. So, so awesome, John the Baptist. And you remember that one day when he starts baptizing, the Pharisees come out with their Abraham car, like, oh, yeah. Hello, we're going to take this guy down. And then he says to him, and do you not think that you, or, and don't think that you can say to yourselves, oh, we have the Abraham card. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of those little stones over there, God can raise up children for Abraham. Oh, you can see why that was like such a knife in their heart. It's the end of their boasting. Abraham could not boast of his own righteousness and neither can the Jews boast of their ancestral connection to him or how faithfully they follow the rules of the law. The law. Paul talks about the law in here. Here's the great thing about the law that we can say in summary. Because there's some good uses of the law. You can read Martin Luther. He talked about some good uses of the law. But here, Paul's point is the law reveals the nature of sin. But realize that it can't save us from it. When I did this, I just had this commercial pop into my mind. I said, I wonder if I can find it. And I did. So, you want to show that quick 20-second commercial? When you just think about what the law can and can't do. Let's, uh, let's watch this real quickly. On the floor! Everybody! On the floor! Hey, do something. Oh, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. I only notify people if there's a robbery. There's a robbery. So uh, that security monitor, he's like the law. So the law comes in. There's sin and death coming through the door. And we're like, law, do something. It's like, I I can't do anything. I'm just just here to tell you that there's sin and death around. There's sin and death around. (laughs) But it can't do anything to stop it. So when you think of the law, that is one. May you always remember that commercial. May you just redeem that. I don't even know what that commercial is for. Some kind of life law thing. Uh. Well, amen. So that's where we're at here. So we're going to turn the corner um, and go for the home stretch. And I'm going to ask Chris because I just want to hear your voice as often as I can. Now I'm going to ask Chris to read uh, verses 13 uh, through 22, and then we will, we will uh, highlight that. So uh, that, the words will also be up on the screen. All right, wonderful. Um... I was really flattered when Mark told me to do the rest of the sermon. So we'll just have a good time here. Uh, oh, oh, hey, oh, thanks, look at the time. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Uh, 
Here we go, verses 13 through 22. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That, that'll preach right there. Just that sentence right You're there will preach. But anyway, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm, good. Thank this is God. the word of God. Amen. And you're welcome. I just gave you your first sermon for your, for your church in North Carolina. Amen. So obviously we don't have time to unpack all of that. If you want to dig in deeper, you know what? We encourage you to do that. You're allowed to read your Bible during the week. You got that? So, what are, the, what are just two? Let me just give two essential observations from this segment of Romans 4. First of all, you have to be clear what is the promise that was made to Abraham? That he would be the father of many nations and an heir to the world. Well, that's something to put on your resume, right? What does this mean? Well, in Genesis 17, God promised to give Abraham a promised land that was an everlasting possession. Everyone say everlasting. So, not just the temporal land. So when you think of promised land, I always just think of the temporal land of Canaan. Mm, that was just a, that's just a holding place, right? But also the blessing of living in the presence of God. The last part of that promise, he said, and I will be their God. Listen, the promised land ain't nothing without God in there. Listen, for as awesome as heaven is, I'm telling you what, if Jesus isn't in heaven, I have no interest in going there. So the beautiful thing, this is an everlasting covenant, a covenant not just a temporary holding place where they, you know, they get to stretch out and you know, have, everyone has their back 40 where they can plow and uh, you know, make do uh, in agriculture. But you understand that the salvation is offered here to the world, but it is offered first to the Jews. The scriptures say first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And so that's important to remember. Here's a great quote by John Piper. John Piper says, Judaism is so central to Christianity that there is no salvation without it. And Jesus Christ is so central to Judaism that there is no salvation without him. So you see, you see how they just go together wonderfully. But this is the difficulty, and this is where Paul has to give a tough message. Paul says, well, the Jews who reject Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, they forfeit their promises as Jews. They forfeit. they got to give it up. However, for the Gentile who accept Jesus and receive him as Messiah and Savior, they become heirs 
to the promises that the Jews have given away. That's a hard language. That's a hard message for these guys to hear. And Paul uh, has to bring it as a velvet hammer. Maybe not so much velvet, but a lot of hammer. And second, how is, how is this promise then given? How is it attained? Because that's, that's kind of the sticking point of this chapter. All right, everyone believes that God gives salvation. He's the gracious giver. But how, what medium do you, uh, do you go through to get that? Well, as we mentioned before, many Jews sought to attain this promise to Abraham through obedience to the Mosaic law. Get this. This is also mind-blowing to me. Many rabbis even believed that even though Moses came along a half a millennium later, Abraham already had thorough knowledge of the law and obeyed it in all of its details. I don't know if they thought that, he, that, Moses, that Abraham had access to a silver DeLorean. I don't know. But somehow he was able to, they thought that God gave him the knowledge of the law before, 500 years before Moses came on the scene. That, that, you can see why the Abraham card is, is, is played with. This is, if this is how you view him, these are the things you believe. So Paul tells us here that this is emphatically not the case. The law, under any circumstances, can be the medium. It cannot be the medium through which the promise of salvation is attained. If you choose to tr- trust in the law, if you choose that way, you cannot receive what's promised by God for your trusting in your wages. That, oh, which you work so hard for. Mm. Yes, give me, give me the paycheck. I worked hard for that. Paul also says that a promise that requires anything more than trust in the promise giver is useless, as uh, Chris read. So here's an example. I got this delightful Hershey bar, right? And so if I go to Scott McGregor, Scotty McGee, as we like to call him, among other things, all good stuff, of course. So if I say, Scott, dude, just graciously, I'm going to give this, this Hershey's bar to you, free of charge. And then Scott comes up, he goes, tell you what, let me clean up the sanctuary, let me polish all the pews, let me go out and pray for a few homeless folks. I'm going to come back and I'm going to grab that thing from your hand. All right? Do you understand how weird that he just made that promise, that, that simple transaction? I'm just a nice guy trying to give the dude a Hershey's bar, right? Or a box of Fruit Loops, am I right? So here are the things you could say. So you could say you can boast. So Scott can say, well, I can boast from the fact that I earned that Hershey's bar. See all the stuff that I did? You made this promise, the promise that I gave you with no strings attached. You just put strings on them. And most of all, not only did you insult the promise, you insulted the promise giver. I'm just, out of the graciousness of my heart, I'm giving him this Hershey's bar. And he, will, he insults my character by saying, you know what? I'm going to add strings and I'm going to work for it. So that is, that is what's happening here uh, in Romans 4, and it happens in our lives. I think that's why Paul wanted such a big 500-year stretch between the promise of salvation and the giving of the law, so the promise had ample rooms to spread its wings and point to the glory of our gracious salvation-giving God. Well, let's, be, let's, let's wrap up here, because if you actually open this gift, we're going to uh, look at the, the, the passage I skipped there, verses uh, 4 through 8. When you actually look in there and see the gift of salvation and righteousness, man, it's beautiful. Verse uh, 4 through 8, uh, this is a, um, uh, Paul writes here in, in quote Psalm 32, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Remember, this is an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts in the one who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. 
verses 7 and 8, this is a, uh, um, a quotation from Psalm 32. And just think, this is, he's talking about us here. Blessed are those whose trans- transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against them. There's that word again. In some, the NASB, it says, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord takes not into account. So you see this whole accounting goes on. So we have this terrible problem of sin in our account, and Jesus wipes it away, and he fills that account with his righteousness. I love um, the words here. This is the conclusion, the promise to all, verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, meaning this, this promise was not just for Abraham alone, but the great four words of this final segment, but also for us. Let's say it together but also for us. Thank you, Jesus, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Guys, that is the Easter message. Keeps going on. As Chris said this morning, Jesus is still alive, right? To trust in the one that would come after Abraham, the son of God, born as a suffering servant to become sin for us, and then to be raised to, get to life again to offer us new life and righteousness before a holy God. And this doesn't happen because we're related to Abraham or Martin Luther or Billy Graham or Stephen Demetrius Keller. Not because of how hard we work to obey God's word. Not because we think our goodness outweighs our badness. Not because we think we deserve God's grace. Good hint for everyone. Never pray to God for what you deserve. All right? A little nickel's worth of free advice. Don't ever pray for that because we know for the wages of sin is what? Death. His salvation and righteousness is not a paycheck to be earned, but rather it's a gift to be received. This is his promise to, uh, to Abraham and to us that we would receive the promise of salvation, that we'd receive it by faith and with gratitude and understand that Works does have a place, but works comes as a result of salvation, not as a way to salvation. We do, again, we receive it by faith. So as Paul says, so that no one can boast. Paul told those arrogant Corinthians, he said, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let's just close our time and just boast in the Lord a bit. Father, we just come before you, the end of our service today. Lord, we just, we just boast in you. We boast in our weakness, Lord, in our sinful, depraved state of bondage, in our alienated state, God, where we are objects of wrath. The gracious life giver comes out of nowhere like he did to Abraham, and you have chosen us, and you adopted us. You saw our heavenly ledger, and you saw that we were in debt far more than we could ever pay a debt that deserved the weight and the sentence of death. And yet you came and you lived that perfect life that we could not. And you took that credit and you put it on our account after wiping away, Lord, all of the sin because you became sin for us. And in you we become the righteousness of God. We thank you that you have credited our faith because of your grace, Lord, to our account. And we stand here like Abraham not being able to boast except in the grace and in the love, the outrageous love 
of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Ah, Lord, I pray for any of us here that continue in our Christian walks, and we love to just polish our badges. We love to showcase what we do in your name when it all becomes about us. Lord, I pray that we would take all of those badges and we would throw them at the foot of your cross. Lord, just as we will cast our crowns at your feet someday, Lord, we just best get in the practice of doing it now. Lord, let us who boast, boast only in the grace, the unmerited grace and mercy and outrageous love of Almighty God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of the truth of Romans 4. And we pray that by your spirit, Lord, this will help transform our lives. Lord, thank you for the gift of life through your son. May we not take it for granted. Let that bear out this week as we share this great love with the world around us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.